everyone. Welcome to the News of the Money World. I'm Darcy Angaro. This is Rupert Carlion. And today we're going to be talking about a few different topics. Let's get stuck straight into it. We've had a really, really interesting and buoyant time in markets. Rupert, why don't you give us a rundown about this narrative ping pong that we've uh, discovered is going on? It's my favorite new saying, uh, narrative ping pong, because it changes every single day and it kind of you go from one week we're talking about high for longer next week we're talking about soft data so maybe interest rates come down pretty quickly soft landing hard landing look there's everything that we've been talking about for the better part of the last kind of two years yeah. but it's almost as though the narrative kind of changes faster than ever and so last week what happened so we went from the kind of october pretty ugly month in the markets, um, not looking great, to last week, we had the best week of 2023. Um, mm. And because the narrative has changed. So, yeah. what happened? Yeah. Yeah. The US Fed, they came out with their, um, their, every six weeks they do their announcement. And Jerome Powell is pretty interesting. He said two things. He said, Data dependency, so and kind of we still need to wait to see how much of an impact the current changes in interest rates that have already been done will have on the markets. And the other thing that he said pretty clearly was that um, they will just wait and see, but they kind of still have a bias to potentially doing higher interest rates. Mm. They took the first part of that sentence really, really clearly, and their interpretation of it was, okay, we are done. Um, and therefore, there won't be any further rate hikes and the, the chance of a December hike is, is getting lower and was kind of priced out of the market. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I kind of found that quite an interesting remark. And so on Wednesday, we saw the markets rally. And then on Friday, just to really reaffirm um, that, that view, US unemployment came in a whole lot softer than expected. So payrolls came in at 150,000. They've previously been running at about 250, 300,000. And so the second part that we saw was there was a negative revision from the September payrolls. So all of a sudden, you take data dependency on Wednesday from the Fed, you yes. follow it up with some weak economic data, and everyone is now celebrating and thinking we have achieved the immaculate conception, and yes. we are now heading to a soft landing. Yeah, um, the immaculate the, pivot point. Yeah. The immaculate pivot point. Um, I think the best description that I read or the red side a podcast I was listening to the other day, they talked about at the Fed, they must be doing high fives all over the table because this is the perfect landing they could have ever engineered. Um, yeah. A slight increase in unemployment, unemployment ticking up to 3.9%, um, doesn't seem to be falling off a cliff, uh, just increasing enough to take some capacity out of the market. And that's yeah. why you've had the market up 5%. Um, and I think what's really interesting, last week you had a rally across every single asset class that you can think of, right? So bonds rallied off the back of falling yields. 10-year yields dropped about 20, 30 points, which is a massive move. Uh, we've continued to see the Bitcoin price um, continue to rise, where that's been kind of now consistently hovering at or above $35,000. And so, yeah, so last week, a great week to be an investor. The ping-pong narrative continues. It's fascinating, isn't it? So on one side, we have lower and sooner. The other side, higher for longer. Yep. Those things completely in conflict. The market hears almost, in a sense, what they want to hear. And like my interpretation of 
what Jay Powell was saying was probably maybe a little bit more conservative. Maybe I was negative when I was reading it, but it didn't sound as promising as what maybe the market had interpreted. And I'm not saying the market's wrong. I'm saying I'm wrong, but it just, it, I guess it's an example of these two conflicting narratives as the ping pong table is getting faster and faster and faster. It's hard to see things and, and it's almost like they're merging into one. Um, and which makes me wonder, like, especially with what you're saying, where all asset classes seem to really do well off the back of this, watching Bitcoin as like and crypto as the first ones on the end of the spectrum spike up. I guess that's like the early leading indicator of a shift in sentiment. I love your confidence there, Darcy. Um, I, let, let, let's move to crypto because I think it's been a really fascinating week on crypto. I, personally, I, I'm not so convinced that it's a, a change. I think it is a change in sentiment. Um, yeah. and I think let's, we also need to talk about some of the other dynamics that are happening in that market, right? I yeah. think, can't remember. I think we talked about it last week as well. Those um, yeah. coin ETFs look as though they, they will happen. They, we've now seen the filings from Black BlackRock. Everything is there, um, subject to kind of approval. And everyone's just getting pretty excited by um, these ETFs happening. What I absolutely love, and kind of um, now that you've turned me into a Bitcoin convert, um, but what I'm really excited by is the fact that actually we had a pretty shitty week for crypto last week. If you think about it, right? FTX, the, the trial finalized. Mm. At the same time, we had kind of the guilty verdict. It's pretty clear there was some pretty outrageous fraud happening um, in FTX. And it was pretty clear that, and I think uh, I, I would hazard a guess that um, there are a few other crypto companies who are very opaque and kind of, do they have similar issues as well? Crypto, but then at the same time, so you've had all of the nastiness and the darkness exposed in crypto land. But you've also got Fidelity, BlackRock, these big behemoths of traditional finance saying, hold on a sec, we're going to wrap our hands around it and create something safe, secure, so that everyday investors can be confident that when they invest in crypto, um, they're actually investing in crypto and they're not investing in a scam. And, and that's what I think is awesome, right? You've got those two competing narratives happening together. Mm. And to me, that's what it's going to take to finally make this as a mainstream product, right? I don't yeah. have to deal with the wallet when the ETF happens. I don't have to worry that I'm keeping it on an account with a kind of a, a crypto company that's kind of I'm not 100% sure on. So yeah, just I think there's a whole lot of reasons why this is going to make the next kind of leg up in crypto land. And I think that's where the market's at on that too. Yeah, no, I think so. And again, it's another example, I guess, another arena of narrative ping pong, right? Because yeah. in my mind, I was thinking maybe... Hopefully I was thinking it quietly and I didn't say it out loud that, hey, maybe finally Bitcoin is making the flip into this much long awaited, you know, maybe I'm being a bit too optimistic, but I kind of hope that maybe one day it will be seen as a safe haven asset because that's kind of my, my view on it is that it is a safe haven asset of sorts. That's one narrative. The other one, though, is that it's just a tech stock on steroids. And so those two things, I guess, are conflicting at the moment and maybe even with FTX, the ETFs, um, where all the regulation is at and where the market's at, maybe again, the way the market moves is that everything happens simultaneously rather than sequentially, like how we normally think about things. Maybe it's not like, hey, this is the truth one day and then this is the truth the other day. It's more like everything is true all at the same time when it comes to the market and it's just survival of the fittest, right? Whoever thinks the dominant thing wins. Is that is that too simplistic, do you think? No, that's exactly it, right? No, no one is ever wrong. 
And think what's what's not everyone's got a perspective, everyone's got an opinion. There is no such thing as wrong or right. Um, and look, well, it, it kind of no matter the asset class, right? You look yeah. at it over the last three years, no one has ever been right. Um, but then I guess who's been wrong, right? We've been yeah. waiting for this recession for the last two years that never turned up. We've yes. been expecting kind of equity markets to tank for the last 12 months, but it hasn't ever happened. Yes. Uh, we've been kind of waiting for interest rates to start to fall, but it hasn't happened. Yes. And so I think what, we are, what we've seen over the last 12 to 18 months or 24 months is markets follow a random walk. They do what they do. Um, and as much as we like to criticize crypto and Bitcoin for kind of being pretty random, yeah. It's the, it is more volatile, there's no question on it, that's driven by the local liquidity um, and the presence of some very large players that control significant chunks of it. Yes. But in my mind, it's not materially different. Yeah, no, that's a good way of putting it. Well, let's talk about one aspect of the market, I think, that we're, we're hearing a lot more at the moment, and we did touch on it at the start. We're talking about treasuries. Yep. And this, again, it's going gonna, it's gonna to dance to its own tune, but there's certain fundamental drivers, like when... We say things like treasuries rallying. It means that the value of these treasuries are going up, which means that interest rates are going down. I know. But when we're talking about treasuries, we're actually talking about three things, right? Like we're talking about uh, treasury notes, treasury bills, treasury bonds. Probably did that in the wrong order. But just to, I guess, put a lifeline out there for those that are trying to wonder what these treasuries actually mean. Do you have a simple way of explaining what a treasury is? Yeah, so uh, in its most simplest term, a treasury is a um, it's a government bond. It's a US government bond. So the New Zealand government, we issue bonds. Companies issue bonds. Um, it's effectively a loan from institutional investors or everyday people to the government. The yep. treasury, the reason we spend so much time talking about the treasury is a treasury is the most liquid market in the world and it is also considered to be the safest asset in the world because it is backed by the US government. Mm. Uncle Sam promises that he will always make you whole um, and will always come through. So it's kind of, yeah, for me, the US market is the largest economy in the world. Uh, the US stock market is by far and away the largest stock market in the world, being about 55, 60% of the global mm. stock market. And so mm. that's why it is the U.S. economy and the U.S. treasuries which drives so much of what we talk about, which is why we talk about treasuries versus uh, New Zealand government bonds because yeah. as much as we um, love what happens in New Zealand, uh, that makes up a tiny portion of actually what drives your KiwiSaver and what should drive your investment value. Yeah. Okay. So, and then we have like these three areas, right? We have the bills, the notes, and the bonds. So the bills are the short-term debt notes two to 10 and then bonds 20 to 30 years typically but when yep. we're talking about treasuries going up we have to kind of almost specify which part of that curve is is going up and so if if for example the u.s is borrowing more money for example to fund a, a war perhaps then they're going to be going to the market and they're going to be basically borrowing so when when we see that in financial media, when the government is borrowing money, what is that? That's basically selling bonds, isn't it? Oh, it is. And the more um, look simple simple laws of uh, supply and demand, the more they borrow, theoretically it should get more expensive because you need more people to give you the money. You you need more buyers of this than than potentially you have um, demand, and so. Mm. 
Yeah, and, and it's a, you've kind of raised a really interesting dynamic, uh, which is happening at the moment, where the US is borrowing more than it's ever borrowed in its, in its history. Uh, you got massive, you got running a deficit of 12% of GDP, which is fucking huge. Yeah. Um, it's insane. Yeah. But at the same time, you've also got a world where there are less natural buyers of US treasuries than there yeah. have ever been before. Yeah. So what kind of a lot of parts of the world got really scared when they saw what happened in Russia, where the Russian, um, everything was frozen. So you end up in a conflict, they're using kind of warfare, uh, sorry, financial warfare, which I think is the right answer, but it is going to make it harder for them to borrow because previously, Treasury is safest asset in the world, whether you're the Chinese, you're the Russians, you're any kind of country, particularly oil um, or exporting country with a big def- with a big surplus, yeah. you invest it. You invested in US Treasuries because it's yeah. the safest asset class in the world. Today, yeah. the Chinese trying to diversify away because they're scared of if something happens with Taiwan. Um, then they're scared that they're going to have that asset class frozen and they're not going to be able to access that money. You've got other markets. Uh, you've got Japan, where it's a different topic. We'll get onto in a second. Yeah. But you've also kind of got a lot of markets which are going, well, hold on a sec, we need to start diversifying away from US, um, US treasuries. There's yeah. also a concern around just how much they are borrowing as well, which means that even if it's not for political reasons that you're moving away from US treasury, the safety and security of a U.S. Treasury is not necessarily what it was kind of three or four years ago. Yeah, and I'm just trying to look at this just from a you know pretty basic perspective, yeah. kind of like what you were saying with the laws of supply and demand. If you're fishing from a pond, at some stage you're going to overfish it, right? And so you talked about how Russia effectively is now excluded from fishing in that pond. China is, is tentatively <laughs> a little bit nervous about fishing there. Yep. And what that means is effectively there's less people to lend to the U.S. government, which inevitably has to force longer term interest rates, maybe the notes and the bonds, has to, for, has to force them up. And so what that means for us here, say, for example, in New Zealand or in many parts of the Western world, thinking about longer term mortgage rates, that, that is a, an upward pressure. So this is clearly in the longer for uh, sorry, higher for longer camp, right, in terms of that narrative. But yeah. I, mean, yeah, I think it is, right? It, it, interest rates will are likely to keep on going up. The other thing that's impacting the US is actually you've got all over the world now interest rates are becoming positive. Yeah. Um, you think that Europe, Europe hasn't seen a German 10-year treasury hasn't been above 1% for the better part of 10, 15 years. Japan hasn't had interest rates that are positive for the better part of kind of, well, almost 20 years, 25 years. And it's, it's amazing all of a sudden this whole landscape of growth, inflation, um, it's going to completely change where and how people invest and how they put yeah. their money. And, and I think you're 100% right. What does it mean? It means higher interest rates for longer. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, that probably flows through to mortgage rates. Yeah, okay. And so let's just drill down into one of those areas. This is Japan, right? So yep. in Japan, we'll, we'll, we won't make this too complex, but Effectively, if you can borrow money for nothing and then translate that into another foreign currency, specifically out of the Japanese yen into the U.S. dollar to buy U.S. assets, treasuries, yep. that give you a better rate of return and an appreciating dollar, you have this kind of spiraling up sort of opportunity. And, I, and, that, and that is my lame sort of interpretation of the, the Japanese carry trade. Do you want to yeah. do a better job of that and, and explain maybe how that impacts where interest rates go as well? 
Yeah, so look, so for a very long time, Japan has been battling deflation. Uh, they got negative population growth. They kind of came out of the late 90s, the Asian crisis, and they never really kind of recovered from that world, right? Um, ever since they've been doing everything they can to, to, boost, to kind of drive inflation through their economy. And they've done that by having very, very, very low interest rates um, yep. on, the way, on the way through. But lo and behold, and so sorry, so if you're a Japanese um, investor and, or, and kind of wanted to make a little bit of money, what did you do? You borrowed money in Japan at kind of zero or very close to zero percent. And then you went and you invested it in the US or New Zealand or other markets where you could get a materially higher interest rate on the way through. Um, back in the, when I started my career in the markets back in the early 2000s, we talked a lot about the Japanese housewife trade uh, where it was Japanese kind of um, everyday mums and dads what they'd be doing is they'd be kind of taking their savings and going, no way am I keeping it here in Japan and bringing it here to New Zealand. And that's why we saw through that period, we actually saw some big acquisitions in New Zealand for massive valuations because mm. money there was free um, and it kind of you could get decent returns and good growth here in New Zealand. That's all starting to unwind because mm. for the first time ever, we've now got a pot, not ever, but for a very long time, We've now got positive yields on Japanese um, Japanese notes. I'm just looking at my screen in front of me, and I can see kind of uh, Japanese uh, five-year is sitting at 0.67%. Doesn't seem like much, but I think it'd probably be the first time in 20 years that it's been above zero. Um, and so, and also, you've got an economy which is driving, which is running at three, four percent inflation above the target that where they should be. The um, Central bank has not been brave enough to act yet, but that's only a matter of time. They will have to act at some point um, mm -hmm. and push interest rates down. And so it's just another kind of one of these financial flows that's likely to change. Um, mm -hmm. it's, if anything, it's going to make it a lot harder for the US market uh, to get access to, to funding because this was always a big source of funding for that market as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's like when one when one fundamental thing reaches a tipping point at the same time as other things are reaching tipping points, it could have quite a dramatic difference. And that's why, again, it's such a fascinating time to see this narrative ping pong playing out Yeah, because uh, there's just so much money in the world still. And I, I'm going to blame the central banks, as I always do, for you know being at the helm when all this credit creation was going on and it's going to take a generation i think not just a few years to flush that credit out of the system and higher interest rates for a couple of years in my view probably isn't going to be sufficient unless we get really used to dealing with larger swings in volatility right because if we have liquidity yeah. drying up in treasury markets for example we might see interest rates go up significantly well what's that going to do with asset prices right what's that going to do to to bond prices so things are going to flip-flop and then the central banks are going to have to overreact to bring it back down and so i don't know if that's the world that we're going to be heading into but i know that it, it it feels like a fun time to be an investor to me because of all these dynamics like it's not just slow and steady you're going to get your average rate of return of six percent after inflation now nah, it's going to be in my view pretty pretty wild would you agree with that yeah look i think there's no way we are through the current period right um the the big question on everyone's a lot of people are asking is what is normal and what is what is abnormal yeah was the um was the last 15 years normal i think most people would argue no 
But yeah. then before that, with the early 2000s, normal as well, I mean, where you had the tech boom and then you kind of had the tech crash and then you had kind of, again, high valuation to inflation. I think that that's the thing that we're grappling with right now. We've just been through the, the longest bull market on record, um, kind of 2007 all the way through, oh, sorry, 2009 all the way through to uh, 2022, 15-year bull market. That's never happened before. Um, and I think that's the thing that we're all grappling with is, is what is normal and or is there normal or do markets follow a random walk and where does that go? And yeah. I think so it is going to be lots of ups and downs as we try and figure that out um, over the next few years. Yeah. And the interest rate stuff, the, the thing that I've been doing a bit of reading on and I find fascinating is actually there's this idea that the ultra low interest rates over the last 15 years created the zombie companies cost of capital was extremely low. You kind of, you could borrow it, well, in the US, you could borrow at 2 3%. Here, you're borrowing at kind of 3 to 5% for companies. And that's just meant that a lot of companies that should not have survived did survive. Mm. Um, and that's a, it's a real set of issues. And so I think we've got a lot of that left to play out um, mm. and a lot kind of to go right, even down mm. to kind of an article I was reading about the US housing market and what's happening there. Mm the US housing market, the um, everyone's refusing to sell their houses because you're currently sitting there on a 1% or 2% 30-year yeah, mortgage. Right. If yeah. you sell your house, you're going to have to refinance that into a 7 or 8% mortgage. So you're kind of going, so either valuations have to come right down. And so the volume, the, the whole market is absolutely screwed. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it's a really, really ugly one, right? There's all of these distortions which are just going to take ages to work their way through. Correct. Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating thing, isn't it? Because because it's it, it really has turned into a financialized game rather yep. than a home. It's absolutely a financialized game now. And so coming back to New Zealand as we finish up, the unemployment data is looking better here in New Zealand. And again, in in this new uh, world that we live in, better is actually worse. So unemployment <laughs> is starting to to get worse. Uh, yeah. We're starting to see, like, again, at the grassroots level, I've been seeing this all this year, a lot of pain hitting households. And so that kind of makes sense that we're, we're seeing that. Uh, increasingly, it seems like there's confidence that the Reserve Bank here in New Zealand has reached the peak of their cycle. And at, it's just any day now where you, you might, not any day now, but any month now, perhaps, that we might see the signs of a drop coming yeah. through in the future. My, my feeling is that when we think about the yield curve here in New Zealand, we might see lower rates on the short end and then higher rates on the long end rather than the other way around. So I'm talking yep. specifically with property you can get, you know, let's say at the moment, six point six and a half percent, let's say for a five year fixed rate mortgage, seven percent on a, a one year at the time of recording here in, in November. I would I would imagine next year at some stage we might see the yield curve kind of going back to positive territory. Uh, because of what we've been talking about, this narrative ping pong will play out and we'll see, yep, it is higher for longer, but maybe on the longer term. And maybe it's going to be shorter and sooner on the shorter term. What, do, what are your views on that? Yeah, look, I agree. I think we, we should start to see a little bit of normalization of that yield curve. Um, that employment print, employment ticking up to 3.9%, it yeah. became pretty clear that, um, that again, that, that we've talked a lot in the past about the, the thing that's going to deal to inflation is the labour market needs to normalise, the unemployment has ticked up, and we're finally starting to see that. Um, yeah. And that's why we did see interest rates come off last week. I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be more on the front end where they come off a little bit more. 
um, yeah. and hopefully we, we kind of start to get back to a more normal uh, yield curve on the way through. Um, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if the next set we saw last week and then a few others came out with um, increases to their medium-term interest rates. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see that go the other way shortly. Uh, we start to see those two, three-year rates come down a little bit um, as the prospect of further rate hikes um, is priced out. And yeah. I think increasingly, uh, I think we're probably going to start to see some more concern on the inf on the recession uh, conversation here in New Zealand. I think increasingly I think so. I mean, yeah. we're starting to see some interesting stuff. We're talking to people, apparently the demand for night jobs has never been higher uh, as people just can't afford to, to do things. We're talking to hospitality businesses um, and some kind of some premium manufacturers. There's a lot of struggle out there in the economy at the moment. Um, yep. And I think it's only a matter of time before we start to see that come through. So actually, uh, I've probably gone a tiny bit more negative um, and, and maybe we, we start to see some sharper moves in interest rates um, early in the new year um, as the economic situation starts to deteriorate a little bit more than probably currently expected. Yeah. And again, that just means more risk, right? Because like I'm, I'm thinking from, from a borrower's perspective, that means more risk because it'll always be, not always, but next year we might start to see the beginning of a new interest rate regime where it's gonna, gonna, going to be very tempting to fix your mortgage for just one or two years again, which is what most people do anyway. But for those that are looking for more protection, which you know, fixing your mortgage should always be about risk management in my view. But for those looking to do that and to fix longer, that might be out of reach from next year. Um, that's kind of my early stage view on where mortgage rates are gonna go. But that just means that there's more risk for people because we're, we're not really going to be able to outlast this volatility that might come in the interest rate cycle. And that's a bit concerning, um, but most people won't really pick up on that. So I guess it's not really gonna be an issue. No, and so I think it's going to be fascinating to see, right? Uh, it's that, yeah. yeah, everyone strives for the upside rather than protecting their downside. Um, exactly. yeah. and that, I mean, I did that. I locked in at two years when I should have locked in at five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll forgive you. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's all good. Okay, cool, man. Well, that was a that was a really good chat. We covered a lot of ground actually as well. And I think like there's a lot more probably to go into. Um, at the moment, I'm thinking a lot about the euro dollar system, Rupert. Just to warn you, maybe for subsequent conversations, we should do a deep dive into what the euro dollar system is, how that all works, and and how we see that playing out in the future. Uh, look, there's heaps, and then the other one which we haven't got to today, but we'll make sure we touch on next week is big tech earnings, right? That's been a big topic over the last kind of week or so. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's always there's a lot happening. I mean, and I'm yeah. sure now that ping pong, I mean, we'll probably be telling you a completely different story next week. Yeah, can't wait. Cool, man. Awesome. All right. Have a good one. You too.